Welcome to City of God, a podcast of the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Dr. Owen Strand, and I'll be your host. Join us each week as we engage the city of man with the biblical wisdom of the city of God. Welcome to City of God. Today on the podcast, Jeremy Volo, part two. We are talking today about the subject of wisdom. Here's the interesting reality for many of us. We're in an age in terms of evangelical circles that is very excited about soteriology. It's very excited about divine grace and the gospel and, and being a gospel-centered Christian and praise God for that instinct and that impetus. We need much more of that kind of focus, a, a grace-driven Christianity. And yet we also need to make room in our theology, in our spirituality, for wisdom. I would go so far as to say this as we dive in today with Jeremy. Many Christians have a, have a solid category for faith and for grace and these sorts of things, but they don't necessarily know where wisdom kicks in. Is wisdom still a thing, or was wisdom a category for Old Testament believers who could have encountered uh, Proverbs when they were originally said, for example? Jeremy, I don't know what you see out there. Do you see Christians having a clear understanding of how to handle wisdom as a category? What would you say here? Yeah, I think it's interesting, Owen, isn't it? There's been, especially in our little niche of Christianity, in recent years, what really could be called a resurgence of Reformed theology. Mm. Um, A a neo-Reformation, I don't don't know know, how you want to label it, but the, the reality is, uh, the the availability of good solid doctrine and the fact that that all all sorts of people young and old are listening to the the teachers who are who are preaching god's sovereignty and who are exegeting scripture and they're reading calvin and they're learning of knox and luther and there's been a resurgence of theology and yet at the same time it, it seems that there's there's a widespread lack of of understanding of what do we do with that theology how does that impact our lives and mm-hmm. and we're seeing this unwoven as as society around us seems to come undone um that's trickling into the church as well and and so we desperately need um the glue that, that holds not just our knowledge of god and and the the reality of his word but, but we need that to be glued to how we live it out in life. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think it's, it's been interesting to see this resurgence of Reformed theology, and yet, simultaneously, um, the Church seems to be in, in a position of, of a bit of chaos mm-hmm. and uncertainty of how do we relate that theology to a rapidly changing world. That's exactly right. My wife and I have talked about this a good bit, how now uh, chaos is the norm, so, so uh, massive systemic change is the norm. It's it's not something that pokes into our lives every couple months or so. <laughs> it's like every day is another occasion for chaos to be unleashed. One of the areas uh, this conversation goes is decision-making, and this isn't a podcast explicitly about decision-making only— but you and I are, are both teachers, preachers in the church in different forms, and I'm sure you, as I do, get asked regularly about how to make decisions, and, and we're asked specifically for wisdom about different decisions. 
it strikes me that many Christians do have that kind of big God theology, big grace theology, which is awesome. Praise God. Massive recovery there, as you rightly said, as you well said. And yet, there can almost be a kind of tripping on the starting line of the marathon if you're not careful, because you have all this high-level theology, which is the foundation of your Christian life, if it's not in place. uh, I'm not sure there's true Christian faith there. But then there also has to be the ability to break this truth down and apply it, and that is where wisdom comes in. We need wisdom for decision-making, but it seems to me, Jeremy, that many of us think that if we just pray or just read the right theology books, we'll know all the right answers. That's not exactly how it works, though, is it? No, I, the, you're right in saying, um, you know, the daily decisions of our lives, if you, if you think about them, uh, probably 90%, I was, I was speaking with one of the, the pastors here the other day, and we were talking about how 90% of, of your decisions are not, shall I murder or not? Mm. Shall I steal or shouldn't I? You know, it, it, it requires intricate application of God's truth to, to very uh, tricky, complicated situations. Mm-hmm. And we say, well, how are we going to apply this theology? Well, we need wisdom. We need very careful, thoughtful, intentional uh, application, and that takes work. That that's that's not just going to come automatically. You know, I understand God's sovereignty and salvation, so now, therefore, I'm going to know perfectly well how to treat uh, my neighbor uh, or how to speak to a difficult family member. Uh, we need something else. We need something uh, to to guide us, to help us in very intricate, complicated life. Life is full of nuance. Mm-hmm. And the decisions we make every day, um, sometimes it's not just, you know, black or white. It's, you know, one of eight possible de- decisions. And we need to, 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 to know, Lord, what's, what's the right decision? What's the best decision? Mm-hmm. And for that, uh, we need wisdom. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm thinking about the old uh, formulation of Proverbs 4-7, the King James. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore... Get wisdom, pretty direct. And mm. with all you're getting, get wisdom. <laughs> I love that. I love that verse. With mm. all, with all thy. It's actually a thy. With all thy getting, get understanding. <clears throat> In other words, the scripture is is really shouting to us. Even as wisdom calls aloud in the streets, we know in the book of Proverbs, get wisdom. Do everything you can, but. Jeremy, that doesn't feel very much like the spirit of the age. Do everything you can to get wisdom, and not just generic cultural wisdom, to get divine wisdom. Uh, How badly do we need a return to wisdom literature? I know that you and I have talked some in the past about the book of James. I think you've been studying the book of James and preaching and teaching from it. What are you seeing from the book of James specifically about the getting of wisdom in our time? Yeah, well, it's it's absolutely necessary that that we have wisdom, and and I think in large part we would be we would be very uh, hard pressed to navigate this world if God hadn't given us wisdom literature, mm. uh, if He hadn't given us the Psalms or or the Proverbs or Ecclesiastes or the Book of Job or 
what we're coming to in the New Testament with James, because wisdom is is more than just knowledge. Knowledge is necessary. We need to know certain things, and and God has revealed to us facts of who he is and what he's done, and we need to know those. But wisdom goes beyond the mere knowing into the doing. It's the, it's the, it's the taking of knowledge and allowing it to eat into our souls so, so much that, that it, it plays itself out in everything we think, mm. say, and do. And so James in the New Testament is concerned with wisdom. He's, he's writing to the, the church spread around the land, and he's saying, saying, guys, who's wise and understanding among you? You need wisdom from above. And here's the, the beauty of it. Um, James, you know, Martin Luther sadly think, thought James was so out of place in the biblical canon, um, and he couldn't see how it fit in to the, to the rest of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And that, that was sad for Luther because James could not be more fitting in Scripture. Mm. What James does in the New Testament is he actually reaches back into the Old Testament and pulls from all of the other wisdom literature all throughout Scripture to the point where James could, could rightfully be called the, the James Collective, where he's gathered the best bits of, of teaching from wisdom literature throughout Scripture, even from Jesus himself, and he puts it into five short chapters, which are practical, which are immediate, which are answering the question, how do we live today in a way that is wise, in a way that is God-honoring, where we can function in this earth with, with wisdom uh, from above. Bro, you are, you are on it. This is great. It's 720 out there, and you are preaching, and you are stirring, <laughs> you are stirring my soul. I love this. This is beautiful. This is not the normal testimony, frankly, in every circle. Sometimes I try to say it like this. The gospel creates wisdom. So there's not, in other words, this adversarial relationship. You alluded to Luther's unfortunate framing. There's not this adversarial relationship between soteriology, the doctrine of salvation, which, again, a ton of people in our movement are really, really excited about, and rightly so, and then wisdom on the other hand. It's not as if salvation and wisdom aren't friends in the Christian worldview. No, Christian doctrine hangs together. Uh, The gospel when it takes you over, as Steve Lawson would say, it's not a makeover, it's a takeover. When it takes you over, it then implements and begins a wise life, a a life that is no longer a foolishness-driven life, but a wise life. Uh, You've talked before with me about the two paths. Do you see this theme in James? Is that something you would draw people's attention to, the two paths? Yeah, so it, it, it's astonishing. James is presenting to us those two paths, and he, he in I, I really see, oh, and the, the heart of the book of James being in chapter 3, verse 13 to 18. Hmm. And what he does there is he contrasts what, according to James, is called uh, the wisdom that comes down from above with the wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, in James' words, he says, demonic or devilish. Whew. And he's he's contrasting these two wis- these these two wisdoms, but what's interesting and what you realize is this is the biblical narrative. When you go to Psalm one, 
Mm. How many paths are there as an option? There's two paths. Don't walk with the scoffer, walk with the righteous. Mm. You go into the book of Proverbs, and the book of Proverbs is not a random smattering of, you know, insights. Uh, Solomon wasn't sitting there with his pen just looking into the sky going, what should I say next about a bird? (laughs) No, there's... (laughs) It's a, it's a beautiful collection yes. of very cohesive units, but when you zoom out, what you realize is the book of Proverbs is a father and a mother pleading with their son to marry Lady Wisdom, not Lady Folly. Well said. And so that's why you see them saying, my son, if you listen to me, my, my son, if you hear me, my son, wisdom is calling out in the streets. My son, don't go near Lady Folly's home. Hmm. And this this father and this mother are are describing both Lady Folly and Lady Wisdom and imploring their son, son, marry Lady Wisdom. Hmm. And so we come to, to Proverbs 31, and most of us know that because it describes a, a godly woman. And that's true, it, it does. But if we only think that Proverbs 31 is a passage for... Women, uh, you know, two weeks before they get married, we read this to them, we give it to them in a mm. notebook, and then they're set. Mm. We, we've not understood the full weight of what's happening there. Mm. The, the Proverbs 31 woman is the woman that all of us are to marry. Whether we're, we're single in life or, or married, this is the, the woman of wisdom. And the life, life with Lady Wisdom is a life of bliss, of joy, of peace. And so James is is presenting the same picture that Psalm 1 did. He's presenting the same picture that Proverbs did. He's, he's presenting the same picture we find in the book of Ecclesiastes, mm. where you, you have the narrator and the preacher, and the preacher is, is showing us the vanity of life. And he's right. All is vanity. Whether you're rich or poor, you die. Whether you're, uh, you know, beautiful or deformed, you die. Whether you're uh, influential or a slave, you die. And he's showing everything's vanity. And so the preacher's summation ultimately is, well, because we all die, just do whatever you want, live life, it doesn't matter. And he's right if death is the end. Hmm. But you see, that's, that's earthly wisdom. That's the wisdom available to us here. We, we, we can only go as far as death. Death is the great equalizer, and death is coming for everyone. But beautifully, at the end of Ecclesiastes, what does the narrator do? He steps onto the scene, and he says, you're right, but actually, there's life beyond the grave. So fear God and keep his commandments. And so the narrator gives us an insight above the sun, whereas the preacher's living below the sun. The, the narrator comes with wisdom from above and says, there's life above the sun. And so there's another plane on which we're to think here, but it's divinely imparted wisdom for us to see beyond this life, to see beyond this world, into the next, and to realize that we're sojourners and exiles on this earth, and really we should be storing up treasure in heaven, where Christ is, and living for the life to come. That's wisdom. And that affects every decision we make on this earth. Mm. Oh, man. There's a lot there. That's well said. Very well said. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is both the ultimate wisdom teacher as well 
and he, he is wisdom itself. To follow Jesus Christ is to follow wisdom. So there isn't tension here between, you know, wanting to be a wise Christian and wanting to be a Jesus-captivated Christian to bring all these, all these threads together. Uh, G- Jesus unites them in himself. He is wisdom. Following him is the way of life. I love what you say about above the sun. <laughs> That's a great perspective. I've been thinking about this, for example, with the films of Christopher Nolan recently, a, a man who sees beauty in the world. You keep using aesthetic language, Jeremy. I love that. He sees beauty in the world. Uh, he, he sees the power of human connection. He sees that there's something to fight for in this world, but it never reaches above. It never goes beyond. It, it, you never are supposed to ultimately lift your eyes up to the hills uh, to look for your help, the help that comes from the Lord. And the wisdom you are talking about is not simply uh, game planning your day a little bit better or figuring out some tips to have a higher functioning existence or these sorts of things, even things that are preached from evangelical pulpits and air quotes here. No, you're talking about the God-intoxicated, God-drenched life that is, that always takes shape as a wise life. Toward that end, as we begin to wrap up here, uh, there's no crazy hurry, but I'd love to hear from you any thoughts you have on on what shape the wise life takes. What does wisdom look like for Christians? This is a broad question, I admit, but just give us some, some quick thoughts. If you're looking around at a church and you think, that godly man is wise, or that godly woman is wise, what are, what are some of what we're seeing there, would you say? Well, it, it's an excellent question, and it ultimately, Owen, comes back to Jesus Christ. And you, you mentioned it, he is wisdom. Paul says at the end of 1 Corinthians 1 that Jesus Christ became to us wisdom, the wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Mm. Um, what we find in the book of James, you know, James is wrongly criticized, and it's unfortunate, again, but he's wrongly criticized by many scholars for not speaking about Jesus enough. And where's Jesus? You know, you're the half-brother of Jesus. This is your only letter to the churches that we have. Where's Jesus in your letter? Mm. Jesus is everywhere in James' letter. Because you say, what does wisdom look like? Well, well think of the one who had pure religion, who, who bridled his tongue and uh, cared for the fatherless mm. and for the widow and visited them in their affliction. Who, who is it who, who kept himself unstained from the world? That, that's, that's religion. That's, that's wisdom uh, in, its, in its purest form. Who is wise and understanding among you? Who, if, if anyone does not bridle his tongue, he deceives his heart. Religion that is pure and, and um, um, undefiled before God is this, James says, visit orphans and, and widows. Well, who visited the orphan? Who visited the widow? Who okay. kept himself perfectly unstained? It's Christ. Mm. He, he perfectly fulfilled the law. He entered this world and touched the lepers. He sat with the sinners and the prostitutes. And so James is painting this entire book as a portrait of Jesus. It's, it's like he's, uh, he's Rembrandt. And you know, as you're walking through the chapters, it's brushstroke after brushstroke, and, and you get to the end and you say, what are you painting, Rembrandt? And, and you pull back, and it's the face of Christ. Because wisdom 
Christ is Jesus Christ. Who is it? You know, opening the book of James, rejoice when you suffer various trials. Who rejoiced in tribulation, ultimately? And, and who demonstrated a submission to God's will in suffering? You know, when suffering comes our way, we respond how James warns us not to. We blame God, and we doubt God. That's what Adam and Eve did. But Christ came and suffered temptation. Did he blame his Father? No, he, he perfectly submitted to the Father's will, resisting Satan and through the power of the Holy Spirit, resisting unto death. It's astonishing to see the portrait is of Christ. And so what does wisdom look like? It looks like Christ-likeness. And how are we to be wise? First, we need to meet Jesus Christ. We need to know him through the gospel. You need to encounter him in real life through repentance and faith. Know Jesus Christ. And then the the essence of the Christian life is with your face unveiled, no longer deceived by the by the sin of your flesh and the world, by by no longer being blind to his glory, with an unveiled face, you behold the glory of Christ, and you are transformed into his same image from the Spirit of God. It's a supernatural sanctification process. But it is the impartation of wisdom to the believer from God as we look to Christ, desiring to walk like him, talk like him, live like him. And that's the portrait that James is is painting. It's Jesus. And so what does wisdom look like? It looks like Christ. And so the more we know and grow in Christ-likeness, the more we walk with wisdom. Nicely said. Nicely said. And if we can rehabilitate Luther a little bit, he helped us understand Christian freedom, uh, a doctrine that's much discussed in our time. Uh, lots of younger evangelicals hear about Christian freedom, perhaps if they, if they have a, a stricter background, and they think it means you, you have basically almost no rules in the Christian life. God's got you, and so you're saved, and you could do pretty much what you want. Well, there are tons of gray areas in the Christian life, as we've already said, but actually Christian freedom is the freedom to be holy, as Luther brought out, and that means it is the freedom to be, as you just said very, very powerfully, to be like Christ. So in other words, you are free, you are freed from your sin by the blood of Jesus, and now your calling is to, at all times, uh, emulate and, and look more and more like by the power of divine grace, Jesus. This isn't a lesser calling to holiness and conformity. The calling to conformity and holiness in the new covenant has gone up inestimably. But that's not a bad thing. This isn't a drag. If this is a drag for you, if you don't want to be wiser, if you want to live it up in the world, that is an excellent sign either that you are straying from your true Christian faith or that you perhaps more likely, are not a Christian. The Christian craves wisdom. The Christian craves conformity to Christ. I love how you brought that out there. Any final words along those lines, Jeremy? Yeah, I would just say seek wisdom. Um, get wisdom. Uh, the, the, you know, wisdom is this, get wisdom. Mm. Um, this is the essence of life. You can have all the knowledge in the world. Uh, but if you do not have 
the wisdom to apply that knowledge, which is a gift from God, it, it profits nothing. Mm. And so I want to be uh, like Christ in, in how I walk and how I talk. Um, I, I want to navigate this, this very difficult life and the decisions that go along with it, um, how Christ would. And for that, we need wisdom. So, um, you know, my, my appeal would be the appeal of Proverbs chapter 2, that, you know, search for her more than for hidden treasure, uh, because the gain from her is greater than any treasure. So uh, the appeal is to get wisdom. Amen. Oh, wow. This has been rich. Thank you for the conversation. Thanks for being on not one, but two City of God episodes. I really enjoyed the conversation, Jeremy, and I commend your your ministry and your ongoing work to my listeners. So thank you for your time. Thanks for listening to City of God, a podcast at the Center for Public Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're so thankful you stopped by. We encourage you to continue to join the conversation at cpt.mbts.edu, the official website of the center. And we encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Join us in coming days as we continue the conversation on what it means to be the city of God in the city of man.